Cool, so that's, uh, we're in Timothy and Titus, and they both have this, this overarching theme that you've seen there. Um, that, uh, the point is this, that, uh, excuse me, that um, just this inseparable link, okay, between, between faith and practice, between the things that we believe um, and the things that we, that we do. Um, between like our faith, between like the, the list of beliefs and doctrines we have and the reading of the word and all of that stuff. And then the everydayness of our life, the stuff that we live out, and we, we know that, we, we understand that. But, uh, but somehow Paul found it necessary to keep writing to churches and to remind them of that. Somehow it's easy enough to, to lose that in the mix of things. It's easy to, to get distracted by things. And, and this message is a message saying don't get distracted because there's, there's some stuff at stake here. When we look at the, the kind of summary, Matt, you got that big picture of the Titus thing right there. And um, we look at the summary that he gives at the end. He says that the church is meant to be an agent of transformation in the world, not through culture wars or through assimilation, but through wise participation in culture. And devotion to Jesus and the common God will show the beauty of our saving God, show the beauty of the message of our saving God. And that's where I want to start this morning. Devotion to Jesus and the common good will show the beauty of the message of our saving God. Lord, I pray that as, uh, as we spend some time in your word, Lord, this next 15, 20 minutes, Lord, um, I ask that uh, we would see your beauty. We would see it, Lord God, shining through the words, Lord God. We would see it and there would be something in us that causes us to be devoted to it, Lord. We are the people who have been captured by your beauty, Lord. Um, and would you make us the people who get to show the world what that, what that looks like. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come now um, and to be the loudest voice in this room, to speak to our hearts, Lord, beyond anything that I have to say, Lord. Uh, this is your time because we're your people. It's for your glory. It's for your kingdom, Lord God. Um, and I ask, Lord, that you would do that now by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me, let me read out Titus 2.11, right? 2.10 on to 11. Madam, could you... Let me distract me. Uh, would you throw up that slide, the 2.10 uh, and 11, 12, 13? So here's the, the, where I want to launch off on today. So it says, in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So this is just after um, Paul has talked about, you know, husbands act this way, wives act this way, slaves act this way, old women, old men act this way, young women, young men act this way. Um, and he says the point of it is that in every way he will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And then he launches into a kind of little presentation of the gospel. For the grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify uh, for himself the people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. As I read that, that sounds like, if we just break it down piece by piece, that's the most attractive thing in the world. Like, it seems strange to me that there's something we could add to it to make it more attractive, that we could make the, the teachings of Jesus attractive to the world. Because when I read that, I'm like, look how this works, look how the gospel works in our lives, piece by piece. So, the grace of God appeared that offers salvation to all people. Like, God reached out to you with grace, yeah? Not because you deserved it, not because you worked up the right religious stuff, because you obeyed all the laws or did everything right. But God has reached out to you in grace, undeserved favor, favor to save you. And it's that grace that says it teaches us to say no. What teaches us to say no? 
religion, like the law, no, the, the grace that he's talking about here. So that undeserved favour that God's giving you into your life, him choosing you while you were far from him, him paying every price to bring you near to him, that's the thing that teaches us then to be able to live godly lives, to be able to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control but bright and godly lives in this present age. It's grace that transforms us from the inside out, not religion, not, not obeying all the right things, but, but it's grace that enables us to live the right life. Church, if you hear one thing this morning, don't hear that the gospel is like do X, Y, and Z and you get to heaven. The gospel is Jesus already did X, Y, and Z on your behalf to get you all the way there. Now you get to do X, Y, and Z living with him living in and through you in the world. That it's not your cause or you, you causing the effect. It's he's done the cause and the effect and then the effect in your life is that you get to live godly lives, right? You're able to live self-control godly lives. While we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour. Like we're waiting for this hope, yeah? We talked about it last week, creation groans, with uh, the pains of childbirth, the revealing of the sons of God, that we're waiting for Jesus to return. We're never without hope, yeah? How beautiful is that? In the middle of coronavirus, in the middle of lockdowns, in the middle of economies gone mental, we're never without hope. What are we meant to look for? We're meant to wait for our blessed hope, um, which is Jesus, right? And then it says, the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. But well, to realize how, how unique Christianity is and all of the philosophies, religions, uh, worldviews of the world, that our God is also our Savior. That our God isn't just the one who we're trying to appease, isn't like the God who's angry out there and waiting for us to do the right thing and is waiting to judge us, or, or, or that, that, but our God is also our Savior. That our God stepped into the world and recognized that, that, that we need Him and He stepped in in Jesus Christ. And saved us. What did he do to do that? He gave himself for us. Can we, can we just remember that? Can we dwell? I want to share communion at the end. Jesus gave his life for you guys. He knew you needed a savior. What's he do? He gives his life for you. To do what? He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. So when we were in wickedness, when we were far from him, he wants to buy us back, he wants us to purchase us. And the original intent he had for us, godly living, that Jesus redeems us. He's done that on our behalf. And then to purify for himself the people that are his very own. Like, think about it. So he redeems us, and then he does the work of purification in our lives. It's the work of making us more like Jesus. The work of moving us into the blessing that comes from living a godly life, the way we were intended to live, free from sin, free from being like slaves to it. Instead, we're obedient to Jesus, and we become like, he not only purifies us, but for himself, a people that are his very, his very own. That Jesus calls you his own. Like that Jesus loves you, that he holds you, like that no one can take you from his hand, that you're his. Can you imagine like the strongest person you can imagine coming into the room and you're trying to take your possessions off? You know what I mean? Eddie Hall, one of them big guys, half tar, Bjorn's the strongest man in the world, coming in here and you're trying to like take something off and trying to wrestle it out of their hands. And that's just a person. Jesus has taken you for his very own and holds you. For people who are very own and then eager to do what is good, and he changes us from the inside out, and he gives us new motivation, new hearts to be able to live this stuff. All of that is the beauty of what's been what's been done for you, what the gospel is. And when I when I read that, it's like beautiful, it's incredible, wondrous, awe-inspiring, humble. It's it's incredible. But to the world who don't know it, how are they how are they ever going to know that that's that's good news? Like maybe we tell them, but they don't understand. See, they don't understand the effects of it. Like the world can be blind to it. And so when I read this idea of that we'll make the teaching of God and our Savior attractive, I'm like, it already is attractive. 
You read me like it already is the most competitive. If those things are true, guys, there's nothing else worth knowing in the world. Like, like reading, like it's already the most attractive thing, but the world is like our blind to it. I was like, how can we make it beautiful? I'm like, the gospel stands on its own. I, like, I felt a bit at the beginning, it's like, it's like me like, trying to slap a bit of lipstick on it to make it, to make it look a bit more attractive. Or we do that in churches, yeah, we might do it like, oh, we're going to be relevant, or we're going to preach this way, and we're going to do this, and we're going to like, make this attractive, this setting attractive to the world. And I don't think that's what this is, this is saying. I think it's saying that, uh, that the way we live can make the gospel attractive to, to the world. See, we can pray, right? We can pray for a family. I can pray for people who I love and who I want to know this and just say, Lord, would you show yourself? Lord, would you show yourself? Lord, would you show yourself? But as I've been praying that this week, we're dwelling in these last few books, I felt the Lord say back, oh yeah, I'm going to show myself. I'm going to show myself through, through you. I'm going to show the world what you look like. See, think how God interacts. When God wanted to reveal himself in humanity, he comes in the form of a human, in Jesus. And he shows us he's the revelation of God and humanity. But then what does Jesus do? He goes and sends into heaven after paying the price of redeemers and he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that he can continue to reveal himself to the world through his church. The point is this, that, that this thing exists beyond us. It doubles down my motivation to live a holy, righteous, good life. That it's not just about me, it's about the people who I love in the world. It's about them being able to see what it looks like what Jesus looks like, that, that the teaching about God our Savior becomes attractive because people see the fruits of it in the lives of Christians who are determined to live it out. There's something in us that looks around the world and longs for it to be different, like we looked at last week. And I feel the Lord saying that, that, that I want to show the world what that something different looks like in, in and through you who are the church. And it's in ridiculously simple things. You know, we, we live in an age where we're told, you know, you can change the world. You know that big message? You know, there's something in you that's meant to change the world. And, and when I hear that, when I was growing up, I thought, man, that looks, like, that looks like being famous or having some platform. You know what I mean? Or, or lots of people hearing your voice or having a load of influence. Um, and that might be the case for some of us, right? But for the majority of us, here's what it means. Paul says, here's how you change the world. First of all, it's not you who changes the world. It's Jesus who changes the world through the gospel, right? Here's how the world gets to see the gospel in the simple ways that you live. See, if I, if I became famous and, and, you know, people flock to hear me speak or whatever, and then I go home and I treat retreats like a piece of dirt, or I'm too far over my head to, to be able to pay attention to Penny or read to her, like if I fail as a husband or I fail as a father, then all of that has no credibility. What, what, what Seth and Titus is that there's, there's people who speak a lot of stuff, but their actions show that they're far from God. They speak a good fight, they talk a good fight, but if you look at the way they live, you can see that they're far from God. And what Paul says is this, is like, here's how you change the world. Like, love, love your wives like, completely, love your husbands completely, raise your kids. God, you be self-controlled. Like if you're a boss, give your, give your employees more than they deserve. If you're an employee, work harder for your boss than they deserve. It's, like, it's in the simple, everyday things that the world is changed and that makes the gospel attractive to the people around us. Don't, I mean, it's good to be trained and able to tell people about Jesus and whatever, but your life is the best demonstration, the best presentation, the best testimony that you have of what it looks like to walk through this world and, and carry the hope that we are I want to make a difference. I want people to know Jesus. Paul is saying, here's how it does it. Demonstrate the gospel to people in the everyday things that you do. Do the things that you know are right with consistency. 
And can I tell you, that's harder, right? That's, that's harder to do. That's a harder ask than, you know, put on some mask and, you know, make a name for yourself and, you know, stand on the street corner and preach to people who don't know. That would take a level of boldness, right? But, but the investment of walking through life with people when they're difficult, when love costs us more than we feel willing to bear, like the investment of, of doing that is the real challenge. And people know that's the real challenge, yeah? We live in an age where fame is cheap, where, I mean, you can get famous for just, I don't know, taking your clothes off on Instagram. I mean, it's not, not a difficult thing to do. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's a cheap thing to be able to get for but integrity, but walking out a life that's committed to people, journeying through life with people where you bear the cost of love, be patient and kind, and having the fruits of the Spirit in your life, that's the difficult thing to do. That's the thing that brings credibility and makes the gospel attractive to the world. It's in the everyday life that a society is changed. I know that's an easy statement to make, but it's not always easy to live out. And I think that's why we have these recurring themes in Paul, in his letters to Timothy and Titus. Just be saying to the guys, look, don't let the church forget about this stuff. Don't let them get distracted by people coming and teaching something. It's so easy to just get distracted. Like the enemy doesn't even need us to cause us to sin. He just needs to distract us from what's the truth. Just like we're focused on Jesus. We're like, yeah, we're walking. And then he's just like, well, look over here. You know, just, just, just pulls us off track with whatever. There's all these warnings. Don't get caught up in like theology. It doesn't even look like necessarily bad things. Just like them calling genealogies in the Bible. Jewish teachers. Like stuff that can seem like, like, well, that's healthy. Like, but it's just distracting us from the main call. Paul's saying to them, don't let the church take for granted the enormity of the call on their lives. Don't let them take for granted the enormity of what Jesus has done for them. Keep reminding them of it again and again. Don't let them get distracted by different movements or different teachers or philosophies. Keep the truth of who Jesus is at the front and the center of everything that you do in every way you can. And I hope that's what we get to do this morning. To just like put it front and center again. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable and worthless, he says. Just like avoid that stuff. Don't have got to do with it. Timothy and Titus, when Paul was writing to them, had some guys who were trying to, to lead people away from Jesus. Trying to make a name for themselves. Trying to profit from preaching a different gospel. So you don't profit from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. You can't, you can't preach that gospel and then, and then like, turn around and say, oh, God gave me a Mercedes. You know, you can have a Mercedes too. Like, it doesn't, it's out of line with, 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 with who Jesus is, that prosperity kind of thing would be the representation of what we have nowadays. Back then, 2,000 years ago, even when the gospel was like brand new, this incredible truth, there's people looking to corrupt it for their own, for their own gain. And he's like, don't be distracted. And there's so many things in the world that are just distractions, guys. And, that feels like hyper true, hyper true right now. There's just so much information out there that it just, it just makes you fed up. Especially, right? It can be just kind of paralyzed, especially in this, like, in this season we're in. Corona season. Maybe many of us had to like stay at home and just find ourselves scrolling through our phones, scrolling through news feeds, reading newspapers, listening to news reports, news and inverted comments. Like, I'm, I'm going to sound like an alpha because, well, one, because I am an alpha. Uh, <laughs> This is like white patch of my beard is slowly taking over my face. But uh, I was up in the attic the other day and uh, I saw a set of encyclopedias and I remember talking to, we had them when we were kids, right? And uh, I remember talking to Penny the other day about encyclopedias and she was like, oh, hey. And, uh, and I was like, it's like the internet in a book, like back in the day. 
I remember when we were kids, like if there was like a project we had to do on like, I don't know, tigers or something, the, 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 what, the, what the, the, the teacher got was just whatever was in the encyclopedia about tigers, either photocopied or written out word for word. But that was the limit of the information you had access to. Yeah? Like this, this little thing, one expert piece of advice. Or maybe you could go to the library, find one or two books about something and add something in. But there was just that limited information available to us. I remember like when the internet came around and going onto Wikipedia, you know, like that big online encyclopedia, and just hitting random articles. And we just generate some random thing and you just start reading about it. And you follow the links into something else. And you're following this rabbit hole with all this information. And I remember when it first came out, I was like, this is incredible. Like you can know about anything that you want to know, like within a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes, you can find out anything. But like as, as that's gone on, as like there's been more and more information added to stuff, it sounds like it should be incredible. But it's turned out to be kind of like kind of crap. It's turned out to be kind of like, like this is like there's just like too much, too much information. It's like you can literally want to know anything, and that sounds amazing in theory, but experientially it's like just it's just like disappointing. It's just relentless. It's not it's not fulfilling. We have this like infinite scroll on Facebook, infinite scroll on on Wikipedia, like limitless information. You can spend your life doing this and never come to an end of the new information that's processed. So I, I looked up some stats during the week. There's, there's 380 new websites made every single minute of the day. 380 websites every minute. 474,000 tweets every minute. Uh, 300 hours of video will be uploaded to YouTube in the next minute. Like 300 hours in one minute. 700,000 photos will be uploaded to Instagram. 3 million Facebook posts will be made in the next minute. It's like the more information out there, the more bewildering stuff. You're never going to get to the end of the information that's out there. And it's not just social media. You might be like, well, I'm not on Facebook. But you're, we're in the world, yeah? We live in an age of, like, of media outlets that are owned by corporations. We're owned by individuals that can use them for it. So can you trust the news that you read if Dennis O'Brien owns news talk or whatever and, and can tell them what to say for their own? Agenda. We live in an age where like, that's being called out by people like, like Trump, who's probably as guilty of it as anyone else, but the whole fake news thing is there. But you can't even you can't trust what you read in a newspaper. And it can become kind of devices. Like there's, there's in 2 Timothy 3.7, there's this verse that says, they're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And I just feel like that's what my life looks like. I'm like constantly like sucking in this information and it's never landed me here. If I took, take COVID, right? If I took this side of the room, split you in half, and this side of the room, put you over there, and I said, this side of the room, I want you to Google why everybody should wear face masks. And this side of the room, I want you to Google why everybody shouldn't wear face masks. Both of you guys will come back fully convinced of your, of your opinions based on what you've Googled, yeah? Based on what you've, you've read. And even saying that, there's probably some who have like opinions that are strong and different than people in the room. And what does that information do? It's just so there. You find the studies to say this, you find the studies to say that, you find academics to say this, academics to say that, popular opinion on this side, popular opinion on that side. And it just leaves us like bewildered. It just leaves us not, not knowing what the truth is. Like, Timothy and Titus had the trouble of a few people who were in their church trying to distract people from the gospel, right? And there's a bit of me that wishes I just had a few people in the church where we're just like, don't listen to that Terry fella. You know what I mean? Like, limit it down, it's one guy, it's Terry, and like, don't listen to him, right? But instead of that, what do we have? We have like, corporations whose business it is to distract you. 
who make their money. Like, we're not just competing against one or two people who come along with something. We're competing against every armchair philosopher and heretic and conspiracy theorist with a smartphone pumping out hours of video and hours of tweets and blog articles and newspaper articles and creating movements around stuff that, 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 that there's an anti-movement to on the other side. And it's just, man, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like the experience of it isn't, isn't good, it doesn't feel good, you're still on, you don't know how to, more and more people that I talk to, like what I talk about, we talk about Corona's been the, the topic, and more and more people, and I've said this, have found yourself saying, I don't know what to think, I don't know what way to think about it, I don't know what, and that's, that's the fruit of the way the world operates right now, bombard us with information and we just don't know what to think, distract you. Learn and learn and learn. Information, information, information. But like the said in Timothy, never arriving at the truth. Because when do you arrive at the truth in that setting? And these, 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 these organizations, I mean, it's so... It's so cynical when we see it for what it is, you know? Do you know there's algorithms that, that feed you news, Carol, different than the news that feeds me? And it feeds you news, the algorithms I learned, what are you more likely to react to? And what am I more likely to react to? And it feeds us different news based on what we're more likely to react to. The algorithms found, the people who develop these software, pieces of software that feed you your news and control what you see in your Google search results, in your Facebook, in your tweets, in your Instagram as you scroll, scroll through. They've, they've discovered that stuff that's good, right, good news stories, like stuff that's positive, like that that stuff doesn't generate as much click-throughs as stuff that causes outrage or stuff that causes disgust or stuff that we're more likely to put an angry face against something we disagree with and to put a like against something that we like. And so it keeps feeding you those things over and over again before you know that you've created a bubble where it's like you're feeding the beast and the beast just keeps feeding you. And the reason is, like, they're not seeking your good, they're just seeking your engagement. And whatever it is that keeps you there so that then they can sell advertising based on you being there. Like, it's just a cynical way. And yet we find ourselves just stuck in, like, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I remember the early days of Facebook. You'd scroll through and then you'd get this message at the end. You'd reach the end of your feed. Like, there's nothing else left. I don't know, it's been years since that happened, yeah? It's just, like, more and more and more and more stuff being fed to us. Yeah, I wish we lived in a time where it was just Terry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we just had some people to contend with. But uh, I think that's why I was talking with Gary during the week and he was like, there's so many like action words in TV and fights. There's so many there's so many things that it's just like it's just like do this stuff. I knew think he's like saying, he's so busy doing the right things that you don't have time to engage in vain discussions, you don't have time for distraction. Like be so so proactive about it. I, I scroll through uh, scroll through Timothy, I was a little bit long. And uh, and I wrote down the, the kind of verbs, isn't it? It says to be hospitable, be self-controlled, love God, love good, be holy, be disciplined, persevere, show dignity, live controlled, upright, godly lives, teach sound doctrine, be sober-minded, be sound in faith, love and steadfastness, be reverent, be self-controlled, be pure, show integrity. Be obedient, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy, devote yourself to good works, be ready for every good work. All these do commandments again and again and again, as if to just say to us, look guys, you're so busy doing the right things in God, so busy reminding yourself, so busy with all of those things we've said, that you recognize an Andrew comes in and tries to take you to the left or the right, tries to lead you to despair, tries to pass off information as being a good thing, but that really leads to division. Like, like be so proactive about chasing the things of God, about understanding the gospel, about dwelling on the things of God, remembering 
your life. That's why it's like every time you're together, break bread and communion. Do this thing in remembrance of me. Have this activity to participate in that's going to remind you. It's all about me. Remind you what I did. Remind you how I was broken for you. Remind you how my blood poured for you. Remind you of the future that you have. Remind you that I'm returning. He's like all of these do action words are so that we don't get distracted. You're so busy with these things that you don't get time to do anything else. I feel we're in a season, we have maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity right now where a lot of stuff has been stripped back from us because of COVID. Job situations change, a lot of us at home, like work situations, all of that is changing. And we have a chance in this moment that we come into, I know people use that language, the new normal or whatever, but we have a chance to decide like, what is the new normal for us? What are the things that have just been a distraction in our lives and that we can be determined to just leave behind in that season and not pick up again? Because we've had like this break, almost like this sabbatical at times, you know, where it's like this space from the, 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 the everyday track of the world and when you were in it, there was probably things that, that you revealed like that didn't really matter to you. Why not do whatever you're ever doing that again? And there was probably things that when there was restrictions were revealed to you, no, I really need that in my life. And then so I just be determined, what are the things I'll pick back up? So that I'm not distracted, so that I get to live a life that shows other people who to use that. This. A friend of mine shared this uh, insight from a book called Bob, uh, Bob, Goff, uh, Bob Goff's book called Dream Big. And uh, he shared this, this quote, right? Great advice. He said, If you clean the state of your life and added things back one by one, what would you add? Now, before we get out to the rest of the quote, we kind of have that opportunity right now. Because like, the COVID thing has kind of cleaned the slates of our life. Yeah? What, what, what are we going to add back in? He says this. Um, so he, he, he asked that question, then he goes back on, what things are you going to add? He answers like, Jesus, my family, things that add joy and purpose and fulfillment to my life, right? And then he goes on to say, what's the, you know, have your easy, your top one, two, three, four. He's like, what's the seventh, eighth, or tenth thing you would add back? Honestly, I don't know if I have room for a seventh thing. Isn't that crazy? It only turns out, I only have a few things that make up the most important things of my life. I bet the same is true for you. Don't get distracted by people who insist on knowing your position on the 13th thing, or something that isn't even on your radar at all. Keep your eye on the ball. Darkness doesn't need to destroy us, it only needs to distract us. If you want to get after your ambitions, don't take the bait. What, what good advice? Like don't, the world is shouting out there, what about this issue? Have my position on this study as you're searching and coming like, what about this issue? What about what about this approach to COVID? What about this approach to social distancing? What about this economic perspective? What about like just shout all those things and we just need to be people of like all the same. I don't have time for that because I've determined in my life, here's the things that I'm committed to. Committed, I'm devoted to actually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and bringing a bread to fellowship and to prayer. I would ask you that they would be the top things in your life. And out of that, then we're devoted to our families, commandments. We're devoted to living out our lives in real, practical ways that matter. I feel that it's a time of uh, refinement. And we're going to come to communion. And this is this is the time where we remember that in all of our doing, the gospel isn't the message about what we do. The gospel is the message about what's been done for us. That the things that we do aren't the things that save us. They're not the things that make us holy. They're not the things that make us acceptable to God. No, Jesus saved us. Jesus made us holy. Jesus has made us acceptable to God. We are in Him. And we get to do these things to become more like Him. And to bring other people to Him. And to help them find the beauty that, that we have found. Guys, if we could get serious about this stuff. Just the serious stuff like a lot. Everyday stuff. I'm convinced that God will use it. 
What did he do in Acts 2? He devoted themselves to apostles, teaching, breaking bread, fellowship, and prayer. And there's this, there's this verse that says, like, all came upon them, and there were signs and wonders being done, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's like they modeled such uh, an incredible community of devotion to the things that matter, that God was able to add to them daily those who were being saved. I believe on the other end of our devotion to those things are people who we love coming into the kingdom of God. And, uh, let me read this scripture that, that, uh, that is in the end of, uh, of uh, Titus to, uh, to pray to pray in communion. It says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. With the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The same is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. We remember that we're saved not by our works, but according to his mercy that he's washed us and he's renewed us. I want to play this song that uh, for me, uh, captures it and as we do we're going to pray just before we play it and then as we do take communion in your own time and if you get the melody you're able to sing along and if we had a video to play with it but it wouldn't work so I was just going to be the song and the lyrics on the screen and uh, and it's why uh, these guys are gators it's called I then shall live and listen to the words of it I then shall live as one who's been forgiven I'll walk with it's just this connection between how we live and what's been done for us I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid I know my name is clear before my father, I am his child and I am not afraid. So, greatly pardoned, I'll forgive my brother and the law of love I gladly will obey. The final verse talks about breaking bread and it's this prayer, it ends with an amen and I'd love us to sing the amen at the end. It says, your kingdom come around and through and in me. Your power and glory let them shine through me. Your hallowed name may I bear with honour. And may your living kingdom come in me. And then about communion. The bread of life may I share with honour. And may you feed a hungry world through me. Jesus, as we come to your table, as we remember you, we thank you that we're saved by you, Lord. We thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord. And we pray that as we partake in your body and in your blood, and as we reflect and remember on you, that you would cause us to assess our lives, Lord, in the light of who you are. That your Holy Spirit would purify us, would refine us, and would send us out, Lord, to feed a hungry world through us, Lord. That we would embody you, that we would be truly your body, Jesus. And that you would be glorified and bring many people to know you through us, Lord God. In Jesus' name.